Well, welcome to Friends Church, everybody. It's so good to see all of you. My name is Chris Ward. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And we're going to get going with our message here today. If you happen to bring your Bibles, you can grab them right now and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we are today. And if you are visiting for the first time here at Friends Church, we are so grateful that you are here. And you have picked just an incredible weekend to be here, not only because of our choir. That's probably the highlight of this weekend. It is the highlight of this weekend. But we also get the opportunity to begin a brand new sermon series here at Friends Church that I I get the opportunity to kick off here today. And this sermon series has a very interesting title. It's called A Christmas Kind of Life. And the idea behind this series is, you know, I think many of us would admit, and I think you saw it here on stage, there is something really special about this season, isn't there? I mean, what is it in that song that we sing? It is the most wonderful time of the year. And I know a lot of people feel that way. I mean, I don't know about you. But for me, even though it gets dark at four o'clock these days, it feels like the world is a little bit brighter at this time of year. And things seem a little bit more optimistic and people seem a little bit friendlier as long as you stay away from store parking lots, of course, right? I mean, there just seems to be something in the air, something that just pervades this particular time of year. But then, before you know it, it's all over, right? And the world goes back to normal. And it feels like we have to wait another 11 months in order to feel these sorts of feelings again. Well, the question that we are seeking to answer in this series is, what if that wasn't the case? What are the things that makes this season so special? What if they could be enjoyed the entire year? What if we didn't have to wait until every November or every December in order to experience the good feelings, the emotions that come along with this particular season? Well, here's what we believe at Friends Church, okay? We believe that we can live a Christmas kind of life the entire year. We believe that the things that make this season special, things like goodness and joy and hope and peace that seem to pervade this time of year, we believe that those are things that God wants us to experience all of the time. And so what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is each time that we gather together, we're going to be taking a look at one of those things that although they seem to be especially present at this time of year, These are things that we believe that God wants us to experience all the time. And we are going to talk about how we can practice them, how we can experience them all 365 days of the year. And in that, therefore, we're going to talk about how we can have a Christmas kind of life. And today, I get the opportunity to talk on what is, I think, one of the most fun subjects to talk on. And that's because today, I get to talk on the subject of joy, okay? Joy. A week ago Friday, so the day after Thanksgiving, uh, I put the Christmas lights up on my house. And if you've been here for a while, you've heard me talk about putting Christmas lights on my house many times before. My house has very high roofs. And so in order to put the Christmas lights up, I have to get on a tall ladder and I'm afraid of heights. And so it's really scary to me and it's hard work. But I love doing it because I love seeing the house decorated this time of year. Well, after I'd done that during the day on Friday, we went to my in-laws house to celebrate Thanksgiving with them. And on the way back from my in-laws house, it was dark. And so it was the first time that my kids were going to be able to see the lights on at night. And so I was really excited for the kids to see all my hard work. And so as we drove down the street and as my house came into view, my middle daughter, Madison, you heard me talk about her last week. She's the one who had pink eyes. She's my six-year-old. She takes one look at the house and you know what she says to me? She says, dad, she says, our house looks terrible. True story. She says, our house looks horrible. And as you can probably tell, that did not do a lot for my ego, especially after risking my life to put those lights on the house. So I wasn't feeling all that good. But then we pressed Madison a little bit in order to find out why she thought our house looked so bad. And what I found out is that to her, 
what we had done just wasn't enough. You see, my, my daughter Madison, she is, this me- season means so much to her. She's at golden age, right? She's six years old. And she wants the, our house to reflect the big feelings that she has about this season. In other words, my daughter Madison, she is filled with joy right now. And she wants everything to reflect that joy. And that makes sense because that's exactly what God wants us to experience as well. And that's what we see in this passage we're starting out with today. Luke chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 10. It's the very first Christmas. Jesus has just been born. And in order to announce Jesus' birth, God sends some angels. And he sends angels not to world leaders, not to upper class, not to the elite. But he sends some angels to some lowly shepherds who are watching their flocks in their, fe- in their fields. And I want you to hear what God puts on the lips of one of these angels. Luke chapter 2 verse 10. It says this. It says, But the angels said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And you see it right there in the middle of verse 10, right? What does God have this angel say? He says, I bring you good news that will cause great what? That will cause great joy for all the people. And there's our word joy. The Greek word translated joy here is the Greek word kara, okay? Kara. And kara is a word that's used all throughout our Bible. In fact, in the New Testament alone, that word is used 133 times. 133 times the New Testament talks of joy. And what does joy mean in the Bible? What's the definition of joy? Well, here's a definition for you, okay? In the Bible, joy is an experience of delight and excitement that comes from within a person and is able to be experienced no matter what the circumstances. Joy is an experience of delight and excitement that comes from within a person and is able to be experienced regardless of one's circumstances. In other words, when you think of joy, men and women, here's what I want you to think of, okay? I want you to think of a pot of water on a stove. And as that water gets hotter and hotter, what begins to happen? Well, it begins to bubble up, right? And if you're not careful, what can happen? Well, well, it can begin to overflow outside the pot. Well, that is what joy is. To have joy is to have, yes, good and positive feelings, but those good and positive feelings, they don't come from the outside in. They come from the inside out. And they, and they flow, bubble up, and they overflow without us in order to, and, and affect everybody around us. And that's what I saw in my daughter Madison a week ago. Just that infectious exuberance that she has about this season. That's what joy means in the Bible. And in this way, just so you know, joy is to be distinguished from happiness, okay? Joy is different from happiness. How so? Well, one website I came across this past week put it like this. Happiness is something that is on the face, but joy is something that is in the heart. Happiness is something that is experienced as a reaction to circumstances, but joy is something that is experienced regardless of circumstances. And happiness is something that is fleeting, whereas joy is something that is lasting. That's why, just so you know, the Bible talks very little of happiness, but it talks a lot of joy. In fact, in my Bible, the word happy is only used four times in the New Testament. As I said, joy is used 133 times. You know what that means? That means God thinks very little of happiness, but he thinks a lot of joy. And that's what we see in this passage in Luke chapter 2. You know, it's always struck me that when God announces the birth of Jesus, he says that it's something that's supposed to bring great joy. And the reason why it strikes me is, you know, we could imagine that God would choose to look at Christmas from another angle. After all, why is it that God had to send his son Jesus to this earth in the first place? Well, it was because of our sin, the Bible teaches us. It was because of our rebellion. And therefore, we can imagine that God would be entirely justified in in accompanying the message of Jesus' birth, not with a message of joy, but with a message of sadness. 
Something like weep, you miserable sinner. Because of what you did, I had to send my son Jesus to this earth. Today is a sad day. And if God had chosen to do that, Christmas would have an entirely different feeling, right? I don't think my daughter Madison would like it all that much. But that's not the emotion that God chose to accompany the birth of Jesus with. God chose to accompany the birth of Jesus not with a message of sadness, but he chose to accompany the birth of Jesus with a message of joy. And that tells us something. And what does it tell us? Well, that's the first lesson I want to share with you today. Today I'm going to talk about a couple of lessons about joy in the Bible. And the first lesson is this. You can write these down if you want. The first lesson is this. God wants us to experience joy, men and women. God wants us to experience this inner delight and excitement that bubbles up. God wants us to be filled with joy. And I want you to understand that God wants us to be filled with joy, not just one month out of the 12. No, he wants us to be filled with joy all the time. This is what Paul makes clear. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, when he says this, he says, Rejoice always. I will say it again, rejoice. And I love how Paul puts it there because he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then as though we didn't get it the first time, like a good pastor, what does Paul do? He repeats himself. Now you know where I get it from. He says, I will say it again, rejoice. And what that shows us is that God wants us to experience joy at all times. And I think that's important for us to recognize because, you know, there was a generation of Christians a long time ago, kind of around my grandparents' generation, maybe even older than that, But this generation of Christians, they acted as if God wanted people to be miserable all the time. This generation, they rarely laughed, they rarely smiled, they rarely seemed to enjoy themselves. In fact, in my grandparents' generation, if you wanted to find the most depressing place to be on a Sunday morning, you know where you went? You went to your local church. Because nobody seemed to enjoy themselves. It was always so serious. Nobody laughed. Nobody had a good time. That's not what God wants for us. God wants us to experience joy. That's what God's word tells us. But obviously, men and women, obviously, this is a little bit easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but I look at that statement where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I think, you know, that's, that's a little bit hard sometimes to do, isn't it? In fact, sometimes it seems a little bit impossible, especially with all that is going on in our world right now. I mean, what is it that we have going on in our world right now? We have two wars. Are we really supposed to rejoice always with two wars going on right now? Are we supposed to rejoice always with with, with life costing more than it ever has before and money feeling tighter than it ever has before? Are we really supposed to rejoice always with worldwide pandemics going on, with an election next year, with financial worries and sicknesses and the like? We're supposed to rejoice always even with all of that happening? It's like that song that we used to sing as kids, right? I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart and sometimes it feels like our heart answers back, where? Where is that joy? Because I don't see it. I don't feel it. In fact, I wouldn't blame you, brothers and sisters, if from time to time you thought to yourself, you know, if God wanted us to experience more joy, well, then maybe he should have made life a little bit easier. Maybe he should have made life a little bit more smooth sailing. I mean, if all that is going on around us, how is it that we can really experience joy? Well, listen, I believe that we can But I believe that the key to living out this joy is knowing where to look for our joy and knowing what it is and isn't to be the source of our joy in this life. And that's what leads me to the second passage I want to take you to today. You can turn with me right now to Luke chapter 6 if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 6, we'll pick it up in verse 20. 
In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples for the very first time. He's just assembled his disciples, and he's giving the first ever message to them as a group. And as Jesus talks to his disciples for the first time, you know what, you know what Jesus chooses to talk on? Well, he chooses to talk on joy. And mostly, he chooses to talk on where we're not supposed to find joy in this life. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Pick it up here. We'll also have the words on the screen. This is what it says. It says, looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Verse 24, but woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And we'll stop right there. And what a fascinating section of scripture, right? In fact, let's go ahead and put that next slide on the screen. So based on what Jesus says here uh, in this passage, I created two lists for you, okay? And list one, on the left-hand side, you have these three things. You have abundance, wealth, food, etc. You have laughter, and you have admiration, okay? That's list one. And then on the right side, you have list two. You have scarcity, wealth, food, etc. You have anguish, and you have disrespect. And those two lists are just a summary of what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 6. Now here's what I want you to imagine, okay? I want you to imagine that I hand you these two lists here. And I say to you, you know, according to the Bible, one of these lists leads to joy, and the other list leads to sorrow. Which one would you choose as the list that leads to joy? Or asked another way, which one would you want to be your life circumstances? Which one would you want to experience in this life? Well, probably all of us would, would choose list one, right? I mean, isn't that what the world seeks after? Isn't that what the world says leads to joy? But what does Jesus say here? He says exactly the opposite, right? He says if you have the things in list one, if you have abundance, if you have laughter, if you have admiration, Jesus says you need to weep. He says, if you have these things, you need to feel bad about your lot in life. Meanwhile, he says, if you have the things in list two, if you have scarcity, if you have anguish, and you have disrespect, he says, you need to leap for joy. You need to be thrilled about where you are in life. I mean, it's crazy, right? As I said, it's exactly the opposite of what we would think. So what's going on here? Well, here's my second point, okay? If my first point is that God wants us to experience joy, my second point is this. What the world says brings joy is not what God says brings joy. What the world says to rejoice about is not what God says to rejoice about. And this actually brings us back to that distinction I made between joy and happiness a moment ago. You know, I don't know about any of you men and women, but I got tired of opening my emails in the month of November. Any of you with me on that? And that's because every time I opened my email, I had another email from Best Buy or Walmart or Target or Apple or whatever telling me that I was just one purchase away from true joy, right? I was just one new TV. I was just one new iPhone. I was just one new mattress. Has anybody noticed all the ads about mattresses these days? I was just one new mattress away from everlasting eternal joy. In fact, did any of you notice that Black Friday this year was an entire month? How did that happen? How did a day become an entire month? But that's exactly where the world looks for joy, isn't it? The world looks for joy in circumstances. It looks for joy in things. It looks for joy in external objects. But do these things really bring the joy that they promise? 
Well, I'll tell you what. Come over to my house sometime and look at my garage. You've heard me talk about my garage before. And if you look at my garage, you know what you'll find? You'll find the remnants of past Black Fridays. You'll find all the objects that I was convinced at one point I needed to experience joy. And now I don't even think about them anymore. I don't even pay attention to them anymore. And that's the point that Jesus is making in this passage. The things in this first list, abundance, laughter, admiration, brothers and sisters, like a new TV, these things are fleeting. They're temporary. They don't last. You experience them one day, but then the next day that they're they're gone. And that's why these things may bring happiness, temporary happiness, but they don't bring joy. Remember what we said, the distinction between happiness and joy. Happiness is fleeting. Joy lasts forever. Well, these things in this first list, they are fleeting. They don't last. And therefore, by definition, they can't be the source of our joy. And that is such an important thing for us to realize here today. You know, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I, I think it's a little bit ironic that I'm the one who was given the subject of joy to teach on this weekend. And the reason why is because I don't feel like I've been the most joyful person to be around recently. I mean, I've talked a little bit about this, but the past couple of years have probably been some of the most challenging years of my life. And in some ways, I've sort of been waiting for things to get less challenging in order to experience joy again. But that hasn't happened. We get through one thing and then another thing appears, right? We get through one tough experience and then another tough experience is right behind it. That's called being an adult. That's just what happens. And what I've realized over the last couple of years is I've realized is if I'm waiting for my experiences to be just right in order to experience joy, well, then I may be waiting forever. And I don't want that. I don't want my kids. I don't want my wife. I don't want you all to experience a different version of me based on how things are going in my life. That's not how I want to live my life. And more importantly, that's not how God wants us to live our lives. No, if we're going to experience the joy that God wants us to experience at all times, then we need to learn to find that joy independent of what is going on around us. We need to be able to find it no matter what life throws our way. So how do we do that? How do we find a joy that stays constant no matter what is going on around us? Well, that's what leads us then to the third passage I want to share with me. Turn with me now to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 in our Bibles. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples out for the first time on their own to perform some miracles, to heal people, to cast out demons, to do the very work that Jesus himself did. And we're told the disciples, they do this, they do all these incredible miracles, and then they come back and they are on cloud nine because they've just seen God work through them in a way that they've never seen before. And so we're told that they get back to Jesus and they're all excited about everything that they've seen. And I want you to see what Jesus says in response to their excitement and their exuberance because it's very, very instructive for us on the subject of joy. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 17, look at this exchange here. It says, the 72 return with joy. And said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Verse 18, Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Verse 20, however, Jesus says, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And I want to read verse 20 again because that's the key. Jesus says this, he says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And I absolutely adore this passage, brothers and sisters. 
And the reason why is, you know, here are the disciples. Here they've just been doing this incredible kingdom work. They've been casting out demons. They've been healing people. They've been doing the incredible work of God. And you would think, therefore, that Jesus would say that it's okay to find joy in that. Yes, if there's one thing that it's good to find joy in, well, then find joy in doing God's work. But that's not what Jesus says here. I mean, what Jesus says here is, listen, even though doing the work of God is good, it's not even the work of God that is supposed to be the source of our joy. No, if you're going to find joy in something, Jesus says, what do you need to find it in? He tells us in verse 20. You need to find it in the certainty of eternity. You need to find it in the fact that you know that you are going to heaven when you pass from this earth. You need to find it in your eternal salvation. And that's the third point that I want to share with you here today. Despite all that's going on around us in the world right now, how can we experience joy no matter what? The third point is this. We can have joy at all times because we know that we have a God who loves us and a salvation that won't be taken from us. We can experience joy at all times because we know that we have a God who loves us and a salvation that won't be taken from us. And this is such an important truth. You know, every uh, summer, my family and I, we take a, a trip to Lake Arrowhead. It's our favorite place to take a vacation. We go every year. And in Lake Arrowhead, in the actual lake itself, they have some buoys in the lake. We'll put a picture of, of something similar to that on the screen. And what these buoys are meant to do is they're meant to separate where you can go fast in the lake versus where you can go slow, where you can have a, a wake with your boat versus where you can't have a wake. And what's always struck me about these buoys and observing them over the years is that no matter how choppy the waves get, and no matter how strong the wind gets, these buoys stay in place. They don't move no matter what is going on around them. And why is that? Well, it's because these buoys are anchored to something. They're anchored, presumably, to a slab of concrete that's buried deep within the bottom of the lake. And therefore, no matter what is going on around them, they stay in place because they stay anchored. Well, guess what? The same is to be true of us as we think about joy. You see, here's why joy is hard to come by sometimes, okay? The reason why joy is hard to come by sometimes for some of us is because many of us, myself included, you know what we do? We anchor our feelings and we anchor our emotions to our circumstances and to what is going on around us. But guess what? That's not a strong anchor. Because our circumstances change all the time. Our, what's going on around us changes all the time. And so if we anchor how we feel at any given moment to what is going on around us, then we're going to bob up and down. Then we're going to go back and forth. Then we're going to be all over the place. I know because that's how I've spent the past couple of years. And that's why in this passage, Jesus says, essentially, listen, like those buoys in Lake Arrowhead, we need to anchor our feelings and emotions, not to our circumstances, not to what is going on around us, but we need to anchor our feelings and emotions to something that cannot change, to something that cannot be taken away from us. Because then, no matter what happens, we know that we're going to stay the same. And what is it that we know can't change? And what is it that we know can't be taken away from us? Well, if you put your faith in Jesus, it's your salvation, and it's God's love. And so as we focus on that, we can have joy no matter what. And that's what Jesus is saying here in verse 20. If you want to rejoice in something, rejoice that you know where you're going when you die. 
Because that won't be taken away from you. That won't change. And that's such a lesson for our day and age. You know, I got news for you, brothers and sisters. If you think things are difficult now, listen, if I read this book correctly, it's going to get harder before it gets easier. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And that's why it makes little sense to, to anchor our emotions and our feelings to what is going on in this world. But there's something special that we know as Christians. What we know is we know that there is coming a day in the future where there won't be any more difficulties and there won't be any more hard times. And, and that's the day that Jesus returns to this earth and he sets everything right. And we know that if we have put our faith in Jesus, then we will be with him when he returns. And we're going to experience that eternity. And it's as we live in eager anticipation and expectation of that moment that we can experience joy. It's, it's like what I experienced on my wedding day. I'll never forget my wedding day, standing on that stage in the chapel that my wife and I got married in. And as the ceremony got started, I was standing on that stage, and my groomsmen were on that stage, and the bridesmaids were on that stage, and the pastor was on that stage. But there was someone very important who wasn't on that stage yet, and who was it? It was my wife-to-be. It was my bride. And where was she? Well, she was standing with her grandpa behind the doors of the chapel getting ready to come in. And I remember as I was waiting for those doors to be opened and for my bride to be revealed, I just remember the sense of anticipation and expectation that I had, this joy that I had. I mean, in that moment, I didn't care about anything else. I didn't care about how uncomfortable my tux was. I didn't care about the fact that the ceremony was 10 minutes late. I didn't even care about my guests at that moment. No, in that moment, I cared about one thing. I couldn't wait for those doors to fling open, and I couldn't wait for my bride to be revealed. That's what it's like to be a Christian, brothers and sisters. We know that at any moment something extraordinary is going to happen. And what's going to happen? That sky is going to be open. And those clouds are going to be rolled back as a scroll. And the trumpet will sound. And the Lord will descend. And because of that, we can have joy in our soul. That's our anchor. That's where our joy is found. And as we wait for that day to come, you know what we also know? We know that we have a God who loves us. And we know that we have a God who is always committed to do what is best for us. And that also serves as our anchor. And that also serves as the source of our joy. A while back I was really anxious about something and so I texted a few friends of mine and I said, I'm pretty anxious, can one of you pray for me or can, can all of you pray for me? And one of my friends texted back this. He said, God, would you remind Chris that you love him and that you're for him? God, would you remind Chris that you love him and that you're for him? And as I read that text, you know what happened? All my anxiety disappeared. Because I realized in that moment, I have an eternity that is secure and I have a God who loves me. And when you realize that, what is there to be concerned about? What is there to be worried about? What is there to be anxious about? And that's what I want to get across to you here today. You know, there is another reason why joy is hard to come by sometimes. And that's because we have a very real enemy in this life, Satan. And in John chapter 10, Jesus tells us that Satan's goal in our life is to steal and to kill and destroy. And I think Jesus is talking in part about Satan. Satan loves to go after our joy. He loves to take that from us. And one of the primary ways that Satan does that is by attacking this truth right here. 
Because Satan knows that if he can get us to forget about eternity, and if he can get us to doubt God's love for us, then he's gone a long way in robbing us of our joy. We can't let that happen. That's why this past week, as I was working on this message, there was a phrase that came to my mind that I feel compelled to share with all of you. Maybe it will really impact someone today, but that phrase is this. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. No matter what it is you're going through, it's all going to be okay. Listen, the opposite of of joy is anxiety and worry, right? And that's where our enemy loves to get us to live, and he loves to push us to that headspace of what is going to happen, and how is this all going to turn out? Because he knows that if we remain there, then we'll, we'll be robbed of joy. Then we'll sit in that anxiety and worry. But here's what we know as followers of Jesus. Because we know that we have a God who loves us, and because we know that we have an eternity that can't be taken away from us, we know that it's all going to be okay. We know that God's going to take care of all of it. And so we don't have to have it all figured out because God has it all figured out and we don't have to know where it's all headed because God knows where it's all headed. And at the end of the day, we do know where it's all headed. Those doors are going to open and our Savior is going to return and that's where our joy is found. That's where we have our anchor. It's like the song that we sang earlier, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. I'm sure many of you know this, but when that song was originally written, it wasn't written about Jesus' birth. That song was written to refer to Jesus' second coming, his return, the source of our joy. And so I would encourage you, this week remind yourself of this truth. Remind yourself that it's all going to be okay. In fact, you may want to take that phrase and you may want to write it on a post-it note and put it on your nightstand, put it on the dashboard of your car, put it on your cubicle at work. And whenever you feel that worry and that anxiety bubble up, anchor yourself in the word of God. Because that's where you'll find joy. You know, after my daughter complained about my Christmas lights, my wife and I, we went online and we bought some extra decorations. And on Tuesday, my wife, my daughter and I, we spent some time putting those extra decorations up and we'll put a picture on the screen of what my house looks like right now. No, I'm just kidding. That's not my house, okay? No, that's not. My, my daughter would love it if that were her house, but that's not my house. It's a little bit more understated than that. But we did add extra decorations to our house. And I got to tell you, as my wife and and Madison and I, as we were decorating, the the joy on my daughter's face, it was just infectious. In fact, I said to Madison, I said, you make this season so much fun. You do. And here's what I want to let you know, okay? That feeling that Madison had in that moment, that's what God wants us to experience all the time. And as we focus on the certainty of our eternity, and as we focus on the fact that God loves us, that's what we can have no matter what. We can have joy. As we close here today, Friends Christian School Choir is going to come up one more time. And they're going to sing another song for us. And this song is about a very interesting subject. It's about Christmas cookies. And here's what I want to let you know, okay? There is no theological or spiritual significance to this song, okay? The Christmas cookies do not stand for Jesus or salvation or anything else. It's just a silly song for us to enjoy. And in light of our message today, I want us to enjoy it because I think God would want us to. So in just a second, they're going to do that. But before they do that, would you bow your heads with me right now? And with your heads bowed, I want to make something very clear to you right now. And that is that joy 
can only be found first through a relationship with Jesus Christ. In order to experience the true joy that the Bible talks about, we have to put our faith in Jesus. I know that this weekend we may have a lot of guests here today, and you came for a variety of different reasons. You came to see the tree lighting, you came to see your friend's child and the choir, whatever it may be, but I do not want you to leave today without an opportunity to get to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it's really easy to do that. All you have to do is admit that you've messed up. The Bible calls it sin. That you haven't done what God wants you to do, but then you believe that God sent his son Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life and to die on a cross, the the death that we were supposed to, 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 to face for our sin. But then you believe that Jesus didn't stay dead, that three days later he rose from the grave. And if you believe that and you confess you're a sinner, you can begin right now a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if there's anybody here who wants to do that, I'd love to just pray for you right now. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity that we had to gather here today, Lord. And I pray for those in this room right now who don't know you, God. But Father, I just believe that you are always working. And right now as we speak, you are knocking on the doors of their heart and you want to begin a relationship with them, God. And I pray, Father, that they would open up that door and they would say yes to Jesus, Lord that they would admit and confess that they haven't always done what you have asked them to do, that they've sinned, Lord, but there is forgiveness of sins through the death of your son, Jesus. That's ultimately why we celebrate Christmas. You sent your son to this earth to die for our sins so that we could have eternal life, Lord. And as they confess their sins and as they choose to believe in your son, Jesus, Lord, I just, I just pray that they would know that in that moment that they have begun a relationship with you. And what we talked about today, the certainty of eternity can be theirs, Father, is theirs if they have believed in your son, Jesus Christ. And God, for all of us, I just thank you that you're a God who wants us to experience joy, Lord. You don't want us to be miserable. You don't want us to be sad, God. You want us to have that exuberance, that delight, that excitement that I saw in my daughter Madison, Father. And I pray, God, that from the inside out, every single one of us in this room, you would just fill us with joy, Lord. And that joy, as your word says, it would be our strength. It would be just infectious to people around us, Lord. And God, as we close this service here today with just a fun song, uh, God, I pray that we would feel the joy of these children, Lord. They often get joy so much better than we do, Father. And as we see the joy on their faces, God, would we respond with joy ourselves and we would just praise you and thank you for who you are and for what this season is all about, Father. And so, God, we thank you for our time together. We love you, Father. And we ask all this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.